if you could spend 24 hours with anyone from history, who would it be? Oh, God's a good answer. Who would you spend it with? Would you spend it with someone like Martin Luther King Jr. during the Civil Rights Movement? Or maybe with Martin Luther, the Reformer? Maybe you would spend it with William Shakespeare and go see one of his plays the very first time it was performed. Or you'd go sit in a pub with C.S. Lewis in England. Maybe you would go see Abraham Lincoln or Father Abraham. Maybe you'd go see one of your ancestors from five generations ago or a hundred generations ago and wonder, like, was our family still that weird back then? Like, is that where we get it from? Well, our passage today invites us to spend 24 hours with Jesus, to see what things were like at the beginning of his ministry, to get a glimpse of what Jesus was doing as he started his ministry in Galilee. So last week we read about Jesus announcing that the kingdom of God was at hand, and this week we get to see the kingdom of God in action. So we're picking up right after the New Testament reading, immediately following Jesus calling his first disciples, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew, and James and John, who are also brothers. And so we get this glimpse of early life in Jesus' ministry. So we're going to look at Mark chapter 1. Verses 21 through 39, giving us a roughly 24-hour look at the life of Jesus. So beginning in verse 21. And they went to Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he, that is Jesus, entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed. So that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And the fever left her. And she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak Because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. 
And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this passage that Mark has recorded for us, that you have inspired and given to us. And we pray that your spirit might fill us this day to open our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us in this passage. Use me in spite of myself and my weakness, and may the truth go forth from your word to your glory. Amen. Well, the big idea I want us to see today is that Jesus is bringing the kingdom in action. He's demonstrating he is the authority. He is the king, and he's calling people to follow him. Originally, he called the disciples with a very clear, hey, follow me. But this is a more subtle calling, a who is this guy? And he's inviting them to follow and question who he is. So we're going to look at how Jesus shows his authority what kind of responses he is seeking, and then what makes Jesus so different as a king. So first, on this Sabbath morning, we see Jesus walking into the synagogue in Capernaum for worship. And probably like we today, we were expecting just the same old things at worship. It was just going to be the standard things, the children's message, the songs, the sermon, the hopefully getting out on time, all of those things. And then Jesus gets up, and Jesus teaches And everyone is just like, wow, who is this guy? Mark writes that he spoke with authority. And I like that word because it has the word author in it. He spoke with authority. See, he did not speak as an interpreter like the rabbis or the scribes or even like I do with the Bible here. He spoke with the same authority as the scriptures. That's because as the very word become flesh, he could rightly claim authorship of the scriptures and the people could tell. This guy teaches with authority. So to help us understand that, imagine you're sitting in a room, probably not this room, with a bunch of Harry Potter fans. Harry Potter is a series of books about wizards and witches and whatnot, and it's for kids. So imagine you're sitting there and you're discussing this wizarding series of novels and maybe there's a trivia contest to see who knows the books the best. Maybe you're discussing deep theories about like what does the snitch mean? You know, what is the what does it mean in that game? What are they chasing? And weird deep things that no one would even care about in Harry Potter. And people would seem very smart and like, "Wow, you you know a lot about Harry Potter." But into the room walks J.K. Rowling, the author of the Harry Potter series. And imagine she began speaking about the destinies of the characters, what Harry was doing when he was 35 years old, and what happened to those kids, and the structural layout of Hogwarts Academy. See, as the creator and author of the series, she would have greater authority than any fan and reader of the books could, because it is her voice Her ideas that determine truth about the series. We as fans, or maybe not fans, may just propose theories about what is going on and what Harry Potter is about. But she has a greater authority as the author of the series. Only she can determine what is truth and what is not. Well, in a greater way, only God has the authority to determine the scriptures as the ultimate truth. And Jesus, being one with the Father and the living word of God, shares that authority. 
Now, Mark doesn't give specifics about what exactly Jesus was teaching that day, but thankfully we have the other Gospels to point us in the right direction of what kind of things did Jesus teach. That in the Gospel of Matthew, chapters 5 to 7, we read about the Sermon on the Mount. And again and again, Jesus says, You have heard it said in the Scriptures, but I say to you. Putting himself on equal authority with the Scriptures. And the people in Capernaum that day had no idea what to do. This guy is teaching with great authority. Well, that same day in the synagogue, while the people were in awe of this teaching, a voice cried out from among the congregation. A voice that is not amazed, a voice that is angry, a voice that is bitter and hostile. And it's a man filled with an evil spirit. Now, I could even tell from Sarah's message, we're, we're a little uncomfortable talking about evil spirits, especially with children around, and evil spirits or demons kind of puzzle us, and they make us a little weird. We feel like we're in a horror movie. We don't like thinking about evil, that we can believe in miracles and the resurrection and angels, and we're, we're cool with that. But demons and evil spirits, that's when things can get weird, and it's unpleasant to imagine the reality of evil spirits, but the Bible is crystal clear that they exist and that they are opposed to the authority of God, opposed to his people, trying to deceive and destroy whomever they inhabit. And we see from the passage, evil spirits don't like Jesus. We see that there are spiritual forces working against God in this world, but Jesus should give us comfort. See, the evil spirit tries to stop Jesus and stop his great authoritative teaching by crying out and revealing who Jesus really is. And people are probably freaked out by that. But Jesus calmly rebukes him. Be silent. Come out of him. And the spirit obeys. That even the evil spirits submit to the authority of Jesus. They must Obey, because his words have the power to silence the spirits and cast them out. And so the people are amazed by his power. They had probably dealt with evil spirits and with evil in their lives, and they don't know what to do. And yet this man walks in and casts them out with but a word. Who is this guy? And so he leaves the synagogue, and people are still probably sitting in their seats like, what just happened? And he gets over to Simon and Andrew's house. And Simon's mother-in-law is lying sick on a bed. And Jesus is told about her condition. And he walks over to her, takes her by the hand, and helps her up. And she's better. She is healed. And she begins serving them as any hospitable hostess would do. And we see from this incident that Jesus has the power to heal He doesn't take natural remedies and some herbal potions and rub it and do some hocus-pocus. He simply touches and heals. For he is the healer. He wasn't just a doctor sent back in time. He is God who can restore health. So I think many of you may know, last week during Sunday school, our son Peter, not that one, the other one, fell and busted up his mouth during Sunday school. And it was a helpless feeling. You know, I see my son, he's bleeding out of his mouth, he's crying, and I can do nothing. I can hold him, I can hug him, I can throw some water in his face, maybe put some ice on it. I can't make it better. 
And when we're faced with sickness, with injury, we can feel that way. I'm helpless. I can't make it better. What what can I do? And yet Jesus shows us he can make it better. He can take the sickness away. He has the authority over our bodies, over any illness, over anything. He has authority over sickness, injury, disease, and he can restore health And as you would expect, word of his authority spread through the town of Capernaum. So it says the whole city was gathered to him. People were dragging their sick friends and family members to Simon and Andrew's house so they could find this Jesus and be healed. And everyone who was brought, it says, was healed. Now, like evil spirits, supernatural healings are something in the Bible that we might be a little skeptical of. How did he do that? We've seen televangelists on TV, and well, that, that ain't right. You know, if I do this, you're not all going to fall down. I know that that doesn't happen. But did he really do this? Do supernatural healings happen today? Is it possible with Jesus? Should we believe these stories? Well, I think what we miss when we ask those questions is that the people of Capernaum weren't dumb. They knew this didn't happen all the time. Why else would everyone flock to Jesus if, oh yeah, supernatural healings, we've got a few people who can do that. They knew what was happening was out of the ordinary, was something that didn't normally happen, and they came to be healed because this man had the authority to stop sickness, to stop disease, to heal the injured and the demon-possessed. And so they came knowing this was something from God. Now, by showing his authority in these areas of teaching, of fighting evil, and healing, Jesus was announcing that the kingdom of God was at hand. Now, the kingdom of God is an important phrase in Jesus' ministry, and I think it simply means God's right rule over the world. God's right rule over his world. It is God setting things right. And we see that in Jesus' ministry that he enters our world with the authority of a king and he starts setting things right. He makes people's lives changed. But when he came then, it was only the beginning because even now we await Jesus' promised return when he will make all things new, setting all things right, wiping every tear from every eye and ensuring there will be no more sickness, no more death, no more evil. And that is our hope. In scripture. And so we see that Jesus demonstrates his authority as the king. And then the people are left going like, what happened? And so we see their responses. When the people come face to face with his authority, they are astonished. They're taken aback. It knocks their sandals off. It causes their big bearded jaws to just drop. And that's a natural reaction because they have seen something amazing. It's a reaction maybe we've had, though maybe our sandals haven't actually fallen off. Maybe you've had the honor of meeting one of our presidents that has served our country. Maybe you've met a famous athlete or a celebrity, and you've kind of been, hi, you know, and we just have that moment of, I am facing someone great. Or maybe it's like your boss or a supervisor or the principal at school, and you can feel that authority, and you're you got to get ready. There's an awe. There's a wonder with this person who is in authority over us. 
Well, the people of Jesus' time were in awe. They're confronted with this guy has authority over so much. They weren't expecting it, and it caught them off guard. But soon they realized this man isn't just a teacher. He is casting out evil spirits. He is healing the sick. They see this man has great authority. And they are amazed by it. Like God wants us to be amazed by his beautiful creation all around us. And so when we see something beautiful, when we see something amazing, our natural reaction is to want to share that with others. We want to tell other people about it. Maybe we had a great meal at a restaurant. Like, you got to go try this restaurant out. Or we saw a funny YouTube video. Or we went and saw a great movie, and we want to share people, share it with people. We see a breathtaking view, like, I went to Niagara Falls, and everyone should go see it at some point. See, when we see something amazing and beautiful, we want to share it. And the people of Capernaum were no different. They went and told others what had happened and brought them back to Jesus. Their message probably rang out in the city, change has come. Someone is here who can help. Something like we've never seen before. Come and see. Though they didn't have all the information about what had happened, they went out and shared what they could. And all throughout Jesus' ministry, this happens. People see Jesus and they go. And they bring more and more people to him. But not everyone has that reaction. It's a common reaction, but when people meet Jesus or hear about him, there are always different reactions. Some just wouldn't be interested. I got stuff to do. That's great. I feel great. I don't need any healing. I'm busy. I'm not interested. Others would be skeptics, saying, that's not right. You guys are making that stuff up. I'm not going out there to see some magic show. I'm sure it's not real. Others would want to come and see the show. What's going on? They didn't have TV. They didn't have Comcast remotes back then. Let's just, that sounds fun. Let's do that tonight. Others might feel threatened. If you worked in the synagogue... Imagine having to follow that guy next week. You have to get up there and be like, okay, so last week Jesus was here, and now it's my turn. So not everyone would necessarily be happy about this. Some would, some not so much. So he shows us these different kinds of things, but what he wants people to get are the people who came asking the question, who is this man? It says in verse 27, what is this? He wants people coming to question what it is they have seen. Not just a get free healing event, but a what does this mean for the world? He wants people to see that the way they view authority needs to change. He wants people to reevaluate their views now that they've seen Jesus. And so he wants them to ask, what is this? So the people in the synagogue are trying to make sense of this. How can we just go back here again on Sunday after what happened last week? How can we come back here knowing that this guy out here can do this? What does it mean for the world? They would be full of questions. And they're questions that we can ask ourselves. Who is this Jesus? Where does his authority come from? And where does he come from at all? 
Are the Bible accounts accurate? Maybe that's our question. Did he really do these things? Is Jesus really who he says he is? And how does that change the way we view the world? See, like any king who comes to take over a region, I know in the youth Sunday school class they're talking about Alexander the Great and the Romans, any king that comes and takes over a region, expectations have to adjust. What's life like under this new regime, under this new authority, under the kingdom of God? And so we have to ask ourselves, what kind of king is this? Who is this Jesus? Well, since it's the very beginning of his ministry, Jesus is very careful with what he reveals to people about his identity, but we see hints of it. Jesus commands the evil spirits not to speak. And what are the evil spirits saying? He's the son of God. And part of us wants to be like, um, that's, that's true, right? Like, you want, let that message get out, Jesus. But Jesus is keeping them quiet, One of the ways people try and use power over someone is to reveal a secret that that person doesn't want revealed yet. And that's what the evil spirits are doing. Jesus isn't ready. He's hiding his identity. But why? Well, I think it's because people would not understand the fullness of his mission until it was complete. We see evidence of this in his early morning prayer retreat. So if you think about it, Jesus was in Capernaum riding high. Big day at synagogue, came home, helped his buddy's mother-in-law, and then everyone came out, and it was a huge day. He could have woke up the next morning and went to City Hall and said, I'm running for governor, and he would have got it. He could have been a superstar. He could have been a local celebrity, a healing hero. He had fame, adoration, and success, and he could have kept it all. But instead, at like 4 a.m., he gets up, goes out to a very desolate place, And praise. He escapes the fame and the crowds for prayer, showing that he's not interested in just being a local healing hero. His primary goal isn't to just heal, exercise demons, and to teach. He had bigger goals in mind. And so the people of Capernaum may have looked at Jesus when they went to go find him and been like, Why are you being so selfish? Why are you spending time praying instead of healing people? How dare he waste time praying instead of being over here? My brother is sick. Now this reminds me, go with me, this reminds me of a superhero dilemma. And it's a very important question for all of life. Uh, And it's, is it morally wrong for Superman to relax? So Superman has super hearing and can hear just about anything. He has super speed and can get anywhere really fast. And so in theory, Superman could get anywhere to help anyone at any time. And there's lots of people who need help. So if he sits down and plays video games, is that wrong? Is he allowed to do that? Would it be immoral for him to rest instead of helping people every second of every day. Well, I think in the same way, that's the question people were asking Jesus. Why are you out here by yourself praying when you can do so much good for everybody else? Well, what they didn't realize was he was preparing for his most important task. As important as it was to heal that person or this person, to cast out that demon or this demon or to teach on that day, 
there was a greater purpose to Jesus' ministry. He says, I have come here to preach. And the message we read about last week is that the kingdom is here. And not just that, but the king himself is here. Challenging people to see him as king and what that means. You see, Jesus is not a public servant like a superhero, a politician, or a doctor. He doesn't answer to us. He is a king with authority over us. And this may not have been clear to the people in Capernaum, but Mark made it crystal clear in verse 1. This is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So Mark gets rid of any confusion saying, this is the king. And so Mark wants us to be asking this, who is this man question? But he's giving us the answers. He is the Son of God, the Messiah, the King of heaven and earth. That he doesn't simply have authority over scripture, over evil spirits and sickness. He has authority over everything, over all the world, over all of us, over all of history, that he is the true king. He is the true authority. Now, we are Americans, I think, most of us. And we have a long history of not liking authority. We got rid of those British people way back when. Didn't like them. And so we don't like it when people have authority over us. We are people who like liberty and freedom. We like to be autonomous, to rule ourselves. Kings? We don't do kings in America. And yet, the Bible is saying there is a king. We have a king that we answer to. See, we like to be our own bosses to determine right and wrong for ourselves that from the very beginning, Adam and Eve showed a very American spirit wanting to do things their own way, getting out from the tyrant who imposed these rules on them, saying, no, we got this. We are going to do this ourselves. And that didn't end so well. They sinned in an attempt to be like God, in an attempt to rule themselves going out from under the king See, Mark is pointing us to this authority, this king over us. So we have to ask ourselves, do we see Jesus as our king? Do we read the accounts of Jesus' life and see his authority over us and the world? Do we see him as our king? For some of us, the answer may be yes. For others, maybe not yet. Maybe we need to investigate what Christianity is teaching a little bit further. To ask some questions about, so he's not just a myth? We need to dig deeper into what the Bibles say and whether or not they're true. Or maybe we have an idea of Jesus as a genie. That he's there when we need him and he answers our requests when we need him, but he's not really a king. We get to put him back in a lamp when we're done. Or maybe we just have a little territory in our lives that the king hasn't reached yet. And we've built up walls around that territory saying, king can't come here. Not allowed. And we need to see that he is king over all. See, those can be hard questions for us. Because the idea of that person in authority over us is worrisome. It's unappealing. We think back to King George III, to Caesar, to Pharaoh to our Old Testament reading where Samuel is describing what the king will be like. And guess what the king is going to do? He is going to take and take and take. And that's all he does. And you will be his slaves. And yet we see a different kind of king in Jesus. We see a king who gives. 
and gives and gives to his people. See, he turned this whole king thing upside down. The weak are strong, the poor are rich. That he himself, the great king of heaven, became weak so that we might become strong. That he became poor so that we might become rich. He died so that we might live. See, his great act as our king was not conquering us, but laying down his life for rebels like us so that we could be citizens of this kingdom, children of the king. God sets things right at his own expense for our good because unlike the kings of old, he is a good king. And though we may not see the kingdom fully today around us, Though we may not know why he hasn't come back to set his kingdom just yet, we can trust in our king who reigns now from heaven over us, that he is in control of all things, as Sarah told the children, and he has promised to return to set things right. So let us serve our faithful king as he has faithfully served us. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, O King, we come before you, knowing that you are not a king who demands and takes everything, but you have given us so much. And we look to your Son, Jesus Christ, the King over all, who has served us mightily in his death and resurrection on the cross, welcoming us into the kingdom. Father, we pray that whether we are struggling with evil in our lives, whether we don't understand your word or whether we are sick and know those who are ill, we pray that your power, your kingdom power might be seen in our lives for you, O Lord, our King, and you desire to help your people. So, Lord, as you taught us in the Lord's Prayer, we know that we are to pray for your kingdom to come, and, Lord, we pray that. May your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And may we serve you faithfully as our king. Amen.